You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 146. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Uh, you guys, great response to last night's uh, using the fan speak tool to create the offseason. Look, guys, we're not necessarily saying Kirk Cousins is going to be the Browns quarterback. It is a possibility that it's one thing. There's plenty of avenues this can go. So the response today was great. Look, always love the chatter. But, guys, it's not the be-all, end-all. We just decided to do it last night and play it that way. Uh, this way, tonight we're going to get more draft-heavy. Uh, you know, we are starting, you know, we're doing free agency shows. But the issue with the free agency shows right now is we have names that are going to be draft prospects and guys that can be drafted. Until we have the finalization, who's available free agency-wise, it's t- t- tough to do more shows on that because, you know, a lot of it is speculation now. So, with that in mind, we're going to go draft-heavy here this night. Uh, without, you know, further ado, I've gone out to one of the guys I appreciate, one of the companies I appreciate. As the years go on, I, I appreciate the product of Pro Football Focus more and more. have a lot of friends over there inside that building, the surrounding area, working for these guys. So, I, I couldn't be more thrilled. Um, with us tonight, uh, obviously from Pro Football Focus, and Steve, I meant to ask you this before we got on air, and I hope I'm not butchering it, Steve Palazzolo. Ah, it's actually Palazzolo, but that's the common Palazzolo. other way that I hear it. And I'm a Jersey guy. I should be better with these names. <laughs> I should be. It happens. Uh, uh, Steve, uh, look, uh, look, and we were talking right before, and you know, the Browns did up, end up 0-16, and you're kind of in agreement, and I think the majority of the Browns, fan base is in agreement. This wasn't an 0-16 team last year. Granted, at the end of the day, your record is your record. But there was a lot there. I mean, look, I'm not going to say it was 8-8, and and I don't think anybody's going to say that. But the team, you know, on paper and performance-wise and and a lot of Sundays, it was a better product than an 0-16 franchise. Yeah, I was saying on our podcast over at PFF, I'm mad if they go 0-16. And I was mad when they went 0-16. I want you to earn that thing. You know, the 2008... Lions, they earned 0-16. They were bad everywhere, every both sides of the ball. You know, the Browns, um, I, I think at some point I joked, you know, you know maybe they're going to have 16 hard-fought losses and just be in every game. And there was a lot of that this year, tight games, close games, and just couldn't find a way to, to pull one off. But I don't think it's this completely depleted roster that led to 0-16. There were still some bright spots on the offensive line. You know, you still have Josh Gordon and what Duke Johnson did this year. And I still think on the defensive side of the ball, there, there's some talent, of course. Miles Garrett uh, flashed all the talent that, that showed why he was the number one pick overall. Uh, Jason McCourty had a nice year. So there's there's still a lot of talent on this team. And I think there's a lot of guys, despite what, you know, no matter what the front office might say, there's a lot of guys that are going to be a part of the uh, rebuilding effort in Cleveland. Yeah, and I think that was part of it. I mean, I, you know, I think these guys look around. And, and one thing, you know, talented football players know and recognize is other talented football players. And, you know, that's kind of where, you know, a lot of people got upset, you know, with, you know, there isn't talent in the building that, that hurt a lot of guys. And especially, you know, a guy like Emmanuel Agba, who in his second year, you know, at the time before his injury, he was the defensive MVP at that point. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's, the, that's the whole thing too. You know, that you've got uh, a lot of young players who have come in the last couple of years and contributed from uh, from an Emmanuel Agba, from uh, Joe Schobert, who I you know, I kind of like it, linebacker, from Larry Ogunjobi. There are you know new young players, and I think some of them are playing in you know some 
maybe roles that don't necessarily fit their skill set. You look at Jabril Peppers, maybe he's not your classic true free safety, but uh, you could certainly find a role where he's going to be a successful player. That's my biggest takeaway with the Browns, from Ogba to Peppers to Schobert, that whole defensive side of the ball. There's there's talent. I still have hope for Corey Coleman on the other side at wide receiver. Uh, just a matter of uh, these guys getting a little bit more experience and putting it all together. Yeah, and I do believe that. And the thing was, is these guys play hard, and they play hard. They play hard until the end. Uh, Corey Coleman was a favorite of mine. I think Corey Coleman he needs to avoid that six week injury. Yeah, you know because it's really hard. You know, once you get a little momentum going and being away so long to pick it all up again. But that being said, look, there's really no other way to go about it when you're talking about the Browns in the draft process. It's the quarterback position. You, you know, the good thing about going 0 and 16 is. You still have a lot of talent here, young talent, and these guys can all grow together. And now you can go out and you have your choice. And it kind of fell in line that every quarterback, you know, is pretty much declared who you'd want to choose from that, uh, you know, from the hat. You know, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, you know, people bringing up Josh Allen, which kind of hurts me. Um, (laughs) Baker Mayfield. But uh, give some thoughts here on the, you know, through the PFF lens and the quarterback position and, you know, what maybe works with, and it's tough to say because, you know, Hugh may not have a long coaching life unless they start off hot, but what works with what's in-house now in Beret? Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one because I think all of these guys bring a lot to the table. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of guys that could and will go in the first round. All those guys that you mentioned, you know, starting with Baker Mayfield, he's kind of that guy that uh, undersized and you know, a walk on and overlooked and just always exceeded expectations, continued to exceed expectations. And he's even one that I, I just wanted to continue. I just wanted to doubt him every every step uh, along the way. Well, what happens when he plays Ohio State or what happens when he plays this good defense or what happens when he loses uh, his top playmaker in D.D. Westbrook? And he just always seemed to uh, it just never seemed to matter. He just always got better. He was our top-rated quarterback the last two years on a throw-for-throw basis. Number three, his uh, sophomore year in 2015. So his production has been off the charts. I think he's got plenty arm when it comes to you know, zipping passes in there, on-platform, off-platform. Decision-making is good. A- Accuracy is excellent. So there's a lot to like about Baker Mayfield. It was ter- certainly a favor- favorable system in Oklahoma, so it's kind of tough to sort out which of those plays are quote-unquote NFL plays, but... Uh, I'm having a tough time overlooking Baker Mayfield. I'm not saying he's the clear-cut number one, but he's not the guy that I want to overlook and doubt because he just continues to uh, exceed expectations every step of the way. So um, I wouldn't hate Baker Mayfield at the top, and I know that's not where the rumors are. I know that's not where you know the buzz might be, and that's you know a lot of people are going to write him off because of the height and because of uh, you know it just doesn't look the part like Josh Rosen does or like Sam Darnold or Josh Allen, but. I think uh, there's a lot to love about Baker Mayfield. Uh, I understand your angst when thinking about Josh Allen. I mean, that is, as my colleague Sam Monson says, he's just a, a bag of quarterback tools, and somebody's got to figure out how to put it all together, right? It's just a, it's just a bag of an arm and athleticism and off-balance throws, and uh, somebody's got to teach him how to, you know, win within the pocket consistently because he just didn't do that at Wyoming. He was in this. Uh, kind of a vertical offense at Wyoming with a lot of low percentage passes, but even when he had high percentage passes, they were hit or miss. I mean, he is your classic uh, big-armed, inaccurate quarterback that's going to make some bad decisions. And I can understand people getting uh, tantalized by 
by Josh Allen, but I'm I'm tantalized enough to maybe take him in the second round and and try to put something together there, not necessarily at the top. So that would be where my question marks lie with Allen. And then, you know, Darnold, I mean, if you take out three games, which you can't, he was a top three quarterback last year at our grades in PFF, but those three games were disastrous. They were horrible during that three-game stretch in the middle of the year. He was our worst-graded quarterback. So uh, I was surprised with just how much the wheels fell off at times for Darnold from a turnover standpoint, forcing passes into coverage, fumbling. But I think the high-end play of Darnold is probably better than anybody in this class when it comes to anticipation, throwing over the middle, throwing guys open. I mean, he does NFL-type things. Reminded me quite a bit of Phillip Rivers when I was watching him. Uh, Not every part of his game, but uh, parts of his game. Uh, that translates to the NFL. So I like Darnold. And I think ultimately he'll have a good career. And then Rosen is just, uh, he's, I, I kind of, I kind of go on a roller coaster when I watch him. And that's kind of how he plays. He's a roller coastery type of guy. He's already gotten Eli Manning type of comparisons or Jameis Winston comparisons, Jay Cutler comparisons. And whichever, whichever one you grab for your own little comparison, the common theme in those three players is roller coaster volatile up and down you've got great plays you've got bad plays it's throw to throw it's week to week it's season to season i i I would not be surprised to see rosen have that type of career even though just from a pure aesthetic standpoint spins the ball well and you know intermediate level he's outstanding and can maneuver the pocket does all those quarterback things but i do worry about that consistency factor that some of those other quarterbacks that he's been compared to that you know that they've essentially dealt with their entire career and with the one with Rosen is it's the interception versus Memphis, you know, rolling all the way to the right and then just, you know, threw a ball right to a linebacker sitting in the middle of the hashes. And that's where the Eli comes from. That's where the Jay Cutler comes from. In uh, Baker Mayfield, the thing is, and look, if you want to give Josh Allen the benefit of the doubt, which it's hard to do, didn't have the talent around him, but he was playing, you know, the inferior competition. You should have seen, you want to see numbers similar to what Baker Mayfield put up against playing everybody like that's the kind of I mean 16 touchdowns six interceptions and the tough part is is you know everybody's going to want to elevate Josh Allen from here and it's almost like you know for guys like me ignore well we're just going to ignore the tape how do you just ignore the tape I mean this is what he did and even you know in his sophomore year you know where it was no look hey here's a kid from Wyoming this guy could be a player and then you put him in his conference championship game and, I mean, he threw the f- football around with zero regard, threw five interceptions. Um, the one I do think I want to ask you now with Sam Darnold, do you think it's more of a it, – is it so much the arm angle or is it the feet combined with it? Because I notice a lot of time – and, look, the arm angle is a little bit low. He does have the height that's okay. But you look a lot of time, and those feet, they are spread wide apart, which drops a low arm angle even lower. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people discuss that recently as far as his – uh, you know, as far as his footwork goes, I think that, you know, when I look at when I look at Darnold and he's making bad throws, whether it's a force into coverage or just straight up inaccuracy, I feel like his bad stretches of plays were more of a slump than, you know, what we're talking about with Rosen, where it's like within a game, you're going to see greatness and you're going to see terrible. Whereas Darnold, I feel like went through a legitimate slump, not that he was perfect outside of that. You know, he still had his his poor throws in there and his poor decisions, but his felt like more of a slump than, uh, you know, here's a guy that's going to take you on that roller coaster ride. So I do think there's a little bit from a mechanical standpoint. 
Uh, he's interesting because he'll make some of those off-platform throws that are just unbelievable. It's like, oh, this guy's rolling out to his right and hitting a guy in stride, and it's great. Other times off-platform, the ball absolutely dies. So I do think that there's a little bit of that to his game. It's kind of like Jared Goff a couple years ago. When he's when he has to move his feet and when he has to reset and when he has to throw off-platform, he'll throw some ugly passes in there. Uh, and Darnold has some of those, but uh, Darnold has more good ones in there too. So um, he does have to tie up some of that consistency, and I do think footwork and mechanics are a part of it. Uh, a lot of people are already talking about his elongated throwing motion and all that stuff. And honestly, I used to pitch, and I was a baseball player and all that stuff. I, people don't really know what they're looking at when it comes to throwing is what I've what I've learned through the years. <laughs> and I, when I look at the throwing motion, if it's an issue, it's an issue. For him, I don't think it's an issue. And it, what I mean by that is, it, it's quick enough. You know, it's a long motion, but it's quick enough. And it, that was maybe what elicited, elicited some of the, the Philip Rivers comparisons. It's like, here's this funky motion, but you know what? He's throwing the ball two ticks early and anticipating and throwing the ball around defenders and all this stuff, much like a Philip Rivers does. He can get away with it or he could do it. Uh, I don't think his long motion is a major issue because he's really, really quick with it, which is different from other guys that have like that long, slow, elongated motion where it is actually a factor that shows up on the field. Yeah, and I think uh, the one that showed it to me was, uh, you know, this year, obviously, uh, the game for t uh, the Texas game, he had to throw to the back uh, to get the field goal towards the end of regulation. I mean, it wasn't pretty, but look, it doesn't always have to be pretty if you know what you're doing and you're quick enough. I mean, he hit the back, got the field goal, and came right back with an absolute gorgeous dime on the first play of overtime. And that's where it's like, well, look, I mean, look, it's, it's, you know, it's not what you're going to draw up. And, you know, hopefully it's not taught this way. But you know what? He makes it work, and he definitely found a way with it. Uh, so it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting quarterback class. How many think go round one, Steve? So I, I think those four guys that we just discussed, and then Lamar Jackson. I, I could see Lamar uh, being a first-round player. I don't, I don't know because the the media hype versus the NFL hype is is often you know far apart. But when I look at Lamar Jackson. I do see a lot of the positives and negatives of Michael Vick as a prospect. I don't know. I think there will be some other Michael Vick comparisons out there. And I only use comparisons when certain things match up. It doesn't mean everything about their game is the same. And uh, the, But the, the big underlying things when I see Lamar versus a Vick, it's athleticism that plays. It's just this legit next-level athleticism that is going to be a major factor in the, in the NFL. I think Lamar could uh, be a thousand-yard rusher as a quarterback, much like Vic was. Uh, whether that's valuable or not, that's a different story. But I could think he could do it, and probably will do it at some point. And then I think Vic had that big arm to create ch chunk plays down the field, and he had accuracy issues to maybe not hit those expected or easier passes consistently. Uh, Lamar has those deals. Has that? You know, he's, he's got the big arm. Uh, not a Vic type arm, but he has the arm to make tight window NFL type throws, and he'll you know turn your head and be like, wow, that's an impress, that's an NFL throw, and then he'll come back and overthrow a slant by 10 feet. So uh, those are the things that I think you know remind me of Vic. And if you had Vic in today's NFL, as inconsistent as he was as a passer, I think somebody would say, you know you could build an offense around him in today's NFL, and that's what I think about with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and, and that's the funny thing with Lamar. It, it, it's you know Lamar. Sometimes it seems like you know you know he would be the you know the young prospect pitcher with the hundred mile an hour fastball. 
but you know, similar to Bull Durham, you know, he may hit the bull every now and then. Yeah, it's gonna ha- it's gonna happen. And if you were on a team, you know, say maybe a seven and nine team, a six and ten team, you could see the thousand yard season because they're going to be a lot of games where it's fourth quarter, and you know, you just you know, garbage yards if you want to use that term, if you will. You know, it's well, if nobody's open and you're going to give me the cushion, I'll take the twelve yards. And I can conceivably see, like, you know, putting up Randall Cunningham-type numbers in, in that type of respect. Uh, the running back class. Uh, it's weird because, you know, and, and I'm a huge Saquon Barkley fan, and I do think he's the number one guy in this class. But what I do also believe is I don't think the narrow is – the gap is is that great before you start getting to the uh, next names of Darius Geis, before you get to the next name Ronald Jones and Sony Michelle. You know, obviously, maybe Barkley will go higher than these guys, but I'm not sure if the production is going to change. You know, a lot of people want to beat up Barkley over the Ohio State game. Uh, his O-line versus the 11 guys playing defense for Ohio State. It's a pretty big mismatch, in my opinion. So why don't you give me some thoughts here, uh, you know, obviously on Saquon and then, you know, on the uh, other three guys I mentioned because, you know, they're in a position here where they can go top shelf at both positions and probably need to. Yeah, I mean, the more the more you look at running backs and their value and everything, though, I, I do have a tough time really taking a running back high unless they are game changers in the passing game. We've seen what Alvin Kamara did or has done so far this year with the Saints. We've seen what Todd Gurley did with the Rams this year. Have to be a big part of the passing game. Barkley at least has that, you know, whether it's uh, I don't know that he's going to go out wide and, and be a true wide receiver like a Christian McCaffrey or as often as Christian McCaffrey, but he's at least capable of doing that. We've seen it uh, deadly on screens, and um, you know that's the type of thing that I think makes him a top 10 type of player. Uh, Ronald Jones has that uh, big playability. I'm, I'm kind of with you on it. I, I think it's really difficult for a running back to be uh, in a different stratosphere than his peers. You know, Even at the NFL level, at any given time, it's like, all right, Le'Veon Bell above everybody. You know, when when he was hel- when he was in his prime and healthy, it's Adrian Peterson. But again, he didn't have that pass game value. At any given time, there's maybe one or two running backs that kind of separate themselves, and then there's just a big chunk of guys that are uh, at least similar, and it becomes opportunity driven and offensive line driven and usage and all these different things. I, I could see this class kind of shaping up in similar fashion. I think Darius Geis can do some excellent things in the pass game. Ronald Jones, big playability. He's already getting Jamal Charles type of comparisons, and I don't hate that as far as uh, just a pure big play threat, speed through the hole that uh, is uh, that's going to play at the next level as well. Uh, you know, Sony Michelle, we saw what he did throughout the college football playoff in the passing game and the speed that he brings to the table and the elusiveness. Uh, so I, look, I I would I have a tough time taking a running back that high when you have more guys you know further down that uh, can do similar things and I, I do think it is a little bit tighter at the top when you break it down I like Barkley as the top guy I don't mind him going up that high uh, but it is tough when you could get another elite player at you know more valuable position and then potentially get that uh, you know next best running back or two a little bit later down the line well and I think the thing is is you know it, it's a big thing now with NFL teams it's the thing of look we want three guys who have defined roles and we can use them in this way and especially when you factor in the injury factor of the running back position, you know, the strength in numbers. And, you know, a lot of it is going to be dictated on opponents each week. You know, who matches up better with what they do specifically against, you know, what the defense you're playing against, you know, what they've shown on tape to this point to what they can shut down. So, it's a, you know, it's becoming a strength in numbers position, you know, the RBBC, whatever. There's, you know, very few guys, you know, that you can rely on to just go out and, you know, be true 
bell cows. And, and, you know, I mean, case in point is you kind of look at Arizona. They got so excited with David Johnson and David Johnson, you know, obviously got injured this year. And, you know, now you got a, a coach who retired, a quarterback who retired, and you got a franchise who's, you know, basically almost starting from scratch. So it's interesting from that respect. Guys, like I mentioned, I'm going to mention all the uh, all the shows that the team still available, uh, still alive. Locked on Jag, Zach Goodall, Chris Thornton. They do a great job with that show. Give uh, check them out. You'll be able to uh, you know uh, get everything you need before the uh, Steelers match up on Sunday. So go ahead, give the young bucks a you know a listen. They do a great job. Guys are really dedicated, very passionate. Steve, now uh, look, the thing, and people think I'm a little strange when I mention that. Wide receiver is a big position of need for Cleveland, but it is because you have two guys who have issues about whether or not they're available yet in two different ways. Obviously, look, Josh Gordon right now is essentially a scratch off. If he shows up, it's the greatest thing in the world for you. You have you know one of the top five wide receivers to take a field on Sunday, but it is a huge risk. And at this point, look, September is a long time away and you have to have a backup plan. And Corey Coleman, and like we mentioned a little bit earlier, now here's a guy who you know is missed in two years, some significant stretches of time, and you're going to need to be able to bring somebody in. I, I don't think this class of wide receivers, I don't think we've matched the 14 class yet in the years since 2014. You know, maybe it'll be a while, maybe that'll be one of those classes that was just that special. But there's going to be some guys who you know need to come in here and be able to contribute and be able to maybe take even a major contribution role if need be. Who are some of those guys that can handle that type of load? Yeah, look, I don't, I don't mind calling that you know position of need because of the reasons uh, that you're saying. Uh, when I look at when I look at wide receiver in this class, I don't think it's got that clear cut guy or two uh, at the top. I, I do think it's this. Uh, you know, this group of maybe late first round and second round type of talents. I, you know, I think a guy that's uh, going to get more hype as we get closer to the draft is is Michael Gallup from, from Colorado State, a guy that, uh, you know, has athleticism and has been unbelievably productive in our system. Uh, you know, a guy like James Washington is up in that mix. Oklahoma State, you know, pure deep thread and has been uh, just fantastic, just running past Big 12 defenses for the last few years. Uh, Cortland Sutton from uh, from SMU, just your big body type uh, of receiver. But again, I don't know that he does anything uh, in such a special manner that he's going to be this top 15 guy. So, I mean, there are names like this that I think um, aren't necessarily locks to go uh, way up in the first round. Calvin Ridley from Alabama, as dynamic as he is as a deep threat, I think age is going to be an issue that pops up, 23 years old. And, uh, you know, it's tough to gauge his production just because – uh, that passing offense is just so inconsistent, and they've, you know, they've blown a lot of teams out, and they're not, you know, they're feeding him the ball within the flow of the game, but when the game gets out of hand, maybe not, not as much, so he doesn't have as many opportunities. Um, so again, a lot of interesting names, but nobody that pops out and says, hey, this is, uh, this is your top guy. Like Corey Davis last year, I loved him. Uh, he's had his inconsistencies this year, but I said, hey, he's, he's your top guy. You know, I, I'm okay with him up at the top. I'm okay with Mike Williams up at the top, or even. Uh, John Ross. I don't know if I uh, trust anybody at this point. Um, so I think there's a lot of talent to be had in that second and third round when it comes to the wide receiver position. Do you think the fact of the production of the Corey Davis this year, of Mike Williams, of John Ross, is that going to have some effect on this guy's on all these wide receivers' draft stock this year? I mean, potentially. I think you know the NFL likes to 
look at recent trends and just all of a sudden think that that's that's the norm instead of thinking well this is just three random guys you know uh Corey davis battled some early injuries mike williams battled injuries and john ross battled injuries and early fumble that he just couldn't get over and never got on the field i don't know exactly what happened there so um i i think it's uh, I think it'd be foolish to just look at the, the most recent three first-round wide receivers and think that their success or failure is going to, you know, determine the future uh, success of, and failure of the next class. So uh, it could be a factor, just because people tend to think like that. But I, but I wouldn't. Okay, that's fair. Uh, but it, it's you know, it's just interesting because you know, I mean, people gambled high and went high on them and didn't get the return on the production. So you know, it's it just wonder. And look, you know, at the NFL. I mean, there's just so much in everything that's looked at. So I, I was just kind of curious how that was going to, you know, get into you know some guys' heads. Um, and Michael Gallup. Look, uh, that's that's a guy. Uh, my friend James Covert. He's big, you know, obviously with the numbers and the market share. And he's been on him for a long time. And I think once you know Gallup gets into these things where he's you know out there working out against bigger names, people are going to see you know. And look, go look at an Alabama tape, guys. This guy's pretty good. This guy can certainly hold his oh, yeah. So, I mean, that game was just, you know, I mean, it looked like a guy, it was kind of like, well, wow, he should kind of be wearing the helmet with the number on it, not the one with the Rams on it. No, he's fantastic. He had a great battle uh, before that, too, even with Colorado cornerback Isaiah Oliver, who I think is a, a top-round potential guy. So, uh, Gallup, the last two years, one of our most productive receivers. And I think the athleticism plays, to your point, it, you know, he doesn't look like, you know, he's out of place against Alabama. If anything, he's uh, more than fits in and, and looks pretty good. So uh, I think, yeah, workout wise, he's going to he's going to look good. People are going to go back to the tape and say, yep, this guy, he can play. He's a good player. Yeah, he'll definitely be a guy that, oh, well, now I got to check the tape. Like one of those, you know, you like you, you know, Mike Mayek. Well, no, this one I'm going to have to dig in a little deeper. I think Michael Gallup's going to be one of those type of guys. Uh, one uh, we're going to get to here. Uh, this is one of the top ones. Uh, look, the Browns have two good athletic young tight ends receiving options. Uh, who are some of the better blocking tight ends? Because that might be one that is going – that is one issue where the Browns might be looking for somebody. You know, blocking tight end-wise, who looks well? Uh, are there any – nobody blocks well in college. I, that's that's the guys, thing. They're trans they're, – they're wide receivers who got too big. They're basketball players who came to play. <laughs> you know, so it, it is, it's almost like a dying art. For the tight end position, it is. Look, I, uh, Troy Fumagalli from uh, Wisconsin, I think, has just continued to improve the last couple of years. In Wisconsin, they run that, you know, more of a pro style type of rushing rushing attack, and and so a lot of times he'll be in line and have to take on tight end, uh, take on defensive ends, and he, uh, you know, he, he holds his own and does a fantastic job there. So uh, beyond that, I don't know that there's a pure, uh, you know, just great blocking tight end in this class. A couple of years ago, a guy David Morgan. Uh, who's with the Vikings and now starting to make some plays with the Vikings. He was far and away our top-graded run blocker and actually screen blocker, too. He did great in space. Uh, so he kind of, like, separated himself. We we eyeballed him as, like, say, the blocking tight end in the class. But the past couple of years, we've only seen maybe one or two of those guys that stand out. Um, and this year, I don't know that there is a clean one. And I think Fumagalli is closer to your all-around tight end. He's a good seam route runner and, uh, like I said, serviceable to pretty good in line. So I think he'd be the name that, that comes to mind for me. Well, that's why, you know, some of these guys, they're on eighth, ninth, 10th year in the NFL. And, you know, they sign those one year, $1 million deals. Cause you know, they're proven to be, you know, blockers. These guys come out they're more athletes. Now they want the ball. And so that's how these guys end up with these long careers as, you know, second and third tight ends, just the way that, you know, that's trending. Uh, guys also follow the lockdown Titans 
Uh, they do a fantastic job, too, those young guys. A uh, great episode out this week uh, with Mark Schofield from Locked On Patriots. Uh, they had a great, great crossover covering the game for this weekend. Should be an interesting matchup. I think the Patriots are going to win. question is going to be whether or not the Patriots can slow down Derrick Henry to, you know, obviously, you know, keep turning the ball over to Tom Brady, put some points on the board. Uh, a couple more from the listeners. Um, the, obviously, the other issue and area of need here in Cleveland, uh, it got really weird here towards the end of the year. Uh, the secondary played well early. But then it got towards the end of the season, and I, in the second Raven game, which was so tough to watch, because here's Joe Flacco, big, tall, you know, long-release quarterback. Granted, he's got the gun to make up for it, but you see receivers with eight, nine yards of cushion at the snap. You're going to need some cornerbacks here in Cleveland who are some guys that can probably get up in somebody's face without getting thrown off the spot when he can make their coverage, you know, obviously going downfield. Yeah, I mean, the first guy that comes to mind is Minka Fitzpatrick from Alabama. So you uh, guys yeah. have him. You guys have him at corner as well. Yeah, I'd say. Oh, well, yeah, I, I, I'm not moving guys to. I'm not moving a guy to safety that can actually cover. I mean, if you want to call a guy a defensive weapon or however you want to term that with with in today's NFL, that's fine. Uh, I mean, you have a guy like Byron Jones in. Dallas, who was he was a cornerback in college and was drafted technically as a corner, and they make him a, but he's a safety, and then he goes and mans up on tight ends sometimes, and uh, other times he'll man up on slot receivers and actually play in the slot. So, uh, no matter what you call Minka, I think you could, I, I would treat him kind of like how I wanted to treat Jalen Ramsey coming out, and when, if you remember Jalen Ramsey, he played safety as a freshman, slot mm-hmm. corner as a sophomore, and then outside corner as a junior. Yeah, Mink has played mostly in the slot uh, for Alabama, but with Ramsey, I said, look, you, you bring him in. If you need him to play in the slot, he can do it. If you need him to play safety, he can do it. But you start him at outside corner and, and just see because his his potential is just through the roof with his athleticism and length. And he only really had one year of experience at the position. I look at Fitzpatrick and think he at least has the tools to play outside corner. And that's your most valuable position. Let's give him a shot there, you know, and, and if he fails, I know I have this uber slot type of guy in that Tyron Matthew, Antoine Winfield type of uh, mold, which is linebacker type of run stopping ability, slot coverage ability, uh, underneath zone skills. And, you know, he could blitz and, and create some havoc off the edge. And then, you know, that, t- that same skill set, I think, transitions to safety just fine, too. So uh, he's a guy you just you try at any one of those three positions starting with the most valuable, which is outside corner. I think he can do it. And, and I think he, he's in that top 10 mix. So I think uh, Fitzpatrick's the, you know, the, the player that really stands out to me in, in a cornerback class that I don't think is uh, really top heavy. Whereas last year, I thought the corner class was just incredibly deep. And uh, I think it showed on the field this year with how much talent uh, went out there and actually played well as rookies. Uh, I don't see that same type of depth in the corner class, but do love uh, Minka at the top. Yeah, well, for me, as a diehard Florida State guy, it was weird to see, you know, that all of a sudden Jalen was going to be put there. And look, you know, Ali Crow on this one, I mean, absolutely just, he's he's owned the position. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin committed offensive pass interference on Sunday, and Jalen still broke up the play. He's been unbelievable. And he's given up three inches. He's given up probably, you know, God knows what Kelvin's real weight is, but 30 pounds, maybe, perhaps. So it's, you know... And plus, when you have that length and you have that size, you know, and look, it, nowadays, all these guys are fast. So it, it's just a question of whether or not you can flip the hips and run with people. So it'll be interesting for Minka, the Jersey boy, like myself. So I'm hoping for him in that respect. 
free safety position. You know, obviously, if Mink is going to cornerback, now all of a sudden we're going to look at the free free safety position because that's where you know before this process got to where we are now, a lot of people had pegged Minka to. And look, Greg Williams, can we get ourselves to a position where we don't have to line the free safety 27, 28 yards off the line of scrimmage? Who are the who are, you know guys you like who have some ball hawk skills? Look, there ain't no Earl Thomases in the world. They they don't grow on trees. Who are some guys that can maybe give you something like that? Yeah, I, I don't love the class from just a pure free safety standpoint. I, I thought the NFL went through this. Uh, period where they almost didn't bring any good free safeties into the NFL from uh, from college, and then uh, we've seen that improve a lot in recent years. My, one of my favorites was Kevin Byard, who's had a great year this year. But yeah, um, it feels like we're a little bit closer to that, uh, you know, questionable class as far as free safeties go. Uh, Quinn Blanding, a guy from Virginia, you know, pretty strong tackler and uh, can work downhill pretty well. I think he's. He has some potential there, but he, you know, the common trend when I'm talking about a guy like him or uh, some of the other guys, it's it's more he's they're not your pure center field type guy, maybe a, a too high type of guy. Uh, and Greg Williams will play his fair share of too high type of looks, um, so there could be a fit there. But uh, some of the other safety talent that's going to get publicity, a guy like Marcus Allen from Penn State, I think he's your classic box safety that you know can cover some tight ends, but he's you know, that's that's the Jabril Peppers scouting report, right? That's a lot similar to uh, what's already over there. Of course, the, the top guy, I think, is, is Derwin James. I think that's, you know, a, a no-brainer for me. Uh, he was our top-graded safety as a freshman. He was our top-graded safety last year as a junior. He was injured as a sophomore. Uh, but again, he's not your classic free safety either. He's closer to Minka Fitzpatrick. He's your playmaker. I don't care what you call Derwin James. He's going to go out there and, and just play football and make plays for you. So find a place for him, whether it is covering tight ends, covering the slot, playing box safety, or even rushing the passer because Florida State would use him as an edge rusher at times and he would still win. So Derwin's a guy I just want on my team and uh, and I'll find places to make plays for him. But you know, I'm talking about these other guys because I don't think that there's a great pure free safety in this class. And uh, you know, sometimes guys pop up in those middle rounds, but uh, nobody that really just pops at this point. Yeah, I mean, have has anybody heard from that right tackle from Florida when Durham was a freshman and basically just embarrassed him? Uh, uh, he was that, an FCS transfer. He was FCS All-American, but a tra- you know, he transferred from FCS. That wasn't fair. Uh, well, I mean, it was an 18-year-old kid, though, Steve. It was an 18-year-old <laughs> kid. It was unbelievable. That's my favorite thing about Derwin. There's a difference between blitzing and straight-up rushing the passer. And so he wasn't blitzing. He is just straight-up, I'm going one-on-one with tackles and he is winning and he's a safety by name and safety by trade. And he's able to do that. doesn't mean he's going to go to the NFL as a pure pass rusher, but again, he's just skilled in so many different areas. Oh, and you know, there's defensive coaches somewhere saying, look, I'd like to play with that. Can I get you know, defensive line coach? I'll take a snap or two with that. No problem. No problem whatsoever. Uh, Steve, uh, any, now any small school names, you know, obviously Tariq Cohen, at this point last year, wasn't somebody that was, you know, bumping high. Any small school names that we should start to put our eyes on to this point? Yeah, so I'm, I'm just getting through a lot of the FBS guys. Um, <laughs> I mean, you only got 130 programs to cover oh this my God. As far as, as far as FCS guys go, I haven't really turned my attention to, to some of those guys. But smaller school, a guy named uh, Marcus Davenport from uh, UTSA. I, I, I don't know if we were the first people that were on him at PFF, but you know, we're always throwing our stats out there and our numbers. And uh, you know, he was in our preseason draft guide and I was like, look, this guy 
right now looks like a day two type of guy. He's six foot seven, two sixty five, plays outside linebacker in that scheme, and he'll drop into coverage, rush the passer, uh, use that length extremely well in the run game, and, and he improved quite a bit this past year. Uh, and and I think he's getting he's getting first round hype at this point. I put him in my first round mock a couple months back. I'm seeing him in some others when I do glance around the web. So uh, Marcus Davenport is just this name that. Uh, really enjoyed watching the last couple of years and just pegged him as like, Hey, going to keep an eye on him. He's going to, let's see if he improves. And, and every time I watch him, he has, and he could take over games. And uh, I think we'll start hearing his name a lot more as the draft process unfolds. Yeah. And uh, actually he's actually, there's a second UTS, UTSA guy, uh cornerback, Devin Davis, uh, you know, carries some good size may end up a nickel guy, but uh, I know he's actually uh, playing this week. I'm not sure exactly which of the two bowls this week that's going on. But he's a guy down there too, and uh, you know he's another guy. So peak number one, the cornerback. Next time he peaks some Mark Marcus Davenport, Steve. Absolutely, we'll give him a look for sure. Uh, Steve, one I'm going to ask you before I let you go. Uh, you know, obviously with the grading system, has there ever been a player that's come after you? You know, on Twitter, what's your favorite moment or interaction with a guy about his grade? In you know, just saying, look, man, I got a job to do, bud. There, there, there are a lot of them. To be honest, there, nothing, <laughs> nothing's ever gotten physical or, uh, no. you know, verbal assaulty or anything like that. Um, but I do know, uh, you know, even so, we've got former NFL linemen, quarterbacks, coaches. They all work for us now. And so this went from like, oh, you PFF nerds, to no, like we're we're football guys breaking down uh, film the right way and. Uh, you know, just hearing some of their stories about players they know and they'll be like, Hey man, this guy, you know, if he has a bad grade, it kind of ruins his day, ruins his week. And he, so <laughs> oh. there's a lot of players that care. And if he has a good week or, you know, he, you know, he's happy. He's, he's having a good day. He's having a good couple days. So it is kind of interesting hearing the stories from NFL players, some of whom are vocal against us at times who really care. They care about their grades. They care about, uh, you know, what's being put out there. Uh, haven't had too many incidents other than, you know, we put up a grade and guys quote tweet us, you know, you know, how many pass breakups did I have? Or what's this grade? Or what are you saying about me? And, uh, you know, the one, one thing that came to mind was Dayon Buchanan. I mentioned oh. him. he's the linebacker slash safety. He's really a safety. He was a safety that became money a linebacker. backer, money backer, yeah, the money backer. Right. And my, my basic point there was you know, the last three drafts, every, uh, everybody's like, hey, we got to find the next day on Buchanan, right? He's a, we need more safeties to become linebackers. And the basic point that I made was, if you really evaluate Buchanan, he is a he's a below average linebacker against the run, and he's an above average linebacker in coverage, which is fine. That's kind of like what you'd expect from a safety. But I don't know if that's something you need to look far and wide to duplicate. I think you could probably find a linebacker to do that. So I made the point that he's an average linebacker when you even it all out. And I think he ended up quote tweeting me about five minutes after his game. I, I, tweeted, I tweeted it during the Sunday night football game. He quote tweets it right after. And then the Arizona Cardinals fans just came after me with responses and just ridiculousness. And I wasn't trying to call him out or anything. I was just making the point. Hey, I don't know if the whole league needs to find more of these guys. He's a pretty average linebacker when you even it all out. And it's actually kind of funny. They brought up Dayon. Uh, Dayon was, you know, came on, you know, rookie prospect show for me back in 14 I actually, there were times where, I, you know, and I was always good to him. There were times I set out, you know, maybe one critical tweet. There's no more following me on Twitter. There's no more direct messages. Me and Dayon used to be tight. You know, I think of the old rap song, by, you know, uh, 
you know, used to be friends. Now we're foes. You know, I, I yeah. think it's kind of went that way with Dayon. Sorry, no, Dayon. I get it. Bro. I, I get it as far as, you know, I, I get it and I don't. If you're, if you're in the NFL, you know, the top end players truly don't care what their PFF grade is. You know, as much as PFF grade is entrenched in their contract negotiations and uh, team evaluations and all that stuff at this point, those are a factor. But you don't care because you know you got a job to do and you just go do your job and that's it. So, you know, the guys that do care, I just think there's more and more of them. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys that just go straight to their phone after the game and check their name and want to know what people are talking about them. But uh, it's just an interesting dynamic because I'm I'm pretty sure the top end players, the best players in the league, don't care, and that's a, that's a reason why they are, uh, you know, at that at that level, at that lofty spot. And it's actually funny because me, uh, Chris Burke over, uh, you know, obviously now at the Athletic, now a former SI guy, because I'm a huge Florida State guy, and he sent me messages. He's like, Auden Tate, he's like, give me something not to like, you know. So we, we talked a little bit about it, and um, then one of our other buddies, uh, actually a guy who hosts the Locked On Eagles, jumped in and said, well, I think he should have stayed, and, you know, he stated, you know, one, two, three points. And, you know, I, I trust, you know, you know, I have respect for the guy. You know, I trust his opinion. And, you know, I walked in tonight from parent-teacher conferences, who, you know, there was like 12 t- tweets praising Auden Tate. This guy had the one negative tweet that he should have stayed in school. And who liked the tweet? Auden Tate did. It was like, <laughs> and the guy called me because he's kind of newer to it. He's like, oh, I was like, yeah, oh, trust me. People are searching. People are searching. They're, they're looking. They're looking. Uh, oh, that's great. It is. It, 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 and it's fun. You know, at the end of the day, and look, these guys, you know, you know what they're worried about. You know, they don't want any negativity, anything that might affect their money, which I could, look, I can understand it from their standpoint. You know, everybody's always concerned about their money, but the same thing is, you know, this is how money's made for guys like you in pro football focus. You're just reporting what you see. And so, it's, you know, it's tough from that standpoint. But, uh, Steve, you, uh, you know, so many friends I have over there, Josh Leeskimitz, Lees so many guys over PFF, you know, Jordan Prosher, so many good friends over there. I appreciate you guys all making the time for me like you do. All the best to you and the family. Uh, anything you want to, you know, spit out before we let you go here this evening? Oh, much appreciated. Always uh, fun to come on and discuss the Browns, the draft, whatever it might be. And of course, don't forget to get over to profootballfocus.com because we just unleashed our new quarterback annual, which is 296 pages of just unbelievable quarterback information, data and breakdowns, uh, stuff you can't find anywhere else. So we're excited about it. It's all part of our uh, PFF Edge product, which uh, gets you this. It gets you all of our draft coverage, pretty much gets you everything. So uh, go check it out. All right, and Steve, please have your wife do a better job of matching the NFL helmet with the blazer, okay? Because it seems to upset a couple <laughs> of the guys, all right? She does dress me extremely well. Come on now. She dresses me really well. I, I can't lie to you. I can't lie to you. And look, I come from that cloth, too. And part of the reason is, and people are like, what do you mean you let your wife shop for you? Well, look, if she thought I was good-looking enough to marry me, she's, you know, I'm going to dress what she wants me to dress. So <laughs> Absolutely. I, I want to keep that ball rolling. I love uh, it. Steve, thanks so much. I appreciate your time here, guys. Locked on Browns, episode 146. Uh, keep following the show. You know, follow all the Twitter handles. You guys have been so much. The support you guys have been giving me is absolutely fantastic. I can't thank you enough. We'll be back at it tomorrow. We'll talk about the division around playoffs. Everybody have a great night. Back tomorrow. Let's go, Browns.